Before we begin, we'd like to ask a favor. If you could take a moment to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen, we'd really appreciate it. We're told it helps the show find new listeners. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the BLB podcast. This is the eighth episode in a series where we talk about the short story form, the writing process, and how to get published. The BLB podcast is a new project from Brick Lane Bookshop, an independent bookshop on Brick Lane, London. I'm Kate Ellis, and this is my co-host, Peter J. Coles. Hello. <laughs> Hi there. Today, we are delighted to be talking to Huma Qureshi. Huma Qureshi is the author of Things We Do Not Tell the People We Love and How We Met, a memoir of love and other misadventures, both published to critical acclaim in 2021. Her short story collection was longlisted for the Edgehill Prize. Huma is a former Guardian and an Observer journalist and won the Harper's Bazaar Short Story Prize in 2020. Her fourth book, a novel, will be published by Scepter in 2023. Hi Huma, thank you so much for joining us on the BRB podcast today. Um, we're going to begin with a reading from your story, Small Differences. Are you, are you ready? Yeah, I am. I am ready. Thank you. Um, yeah, this is, uh, I'm going to read from towards the end of this story, Small Differences, which is a story about a couple who are supposed to be on a romantic holiday in Tuscany, but it doesn't exactly work out that way. Later, in the middle of the night, Tasneem woke, startled, as a wild thunder ripped the sky apart. A storm had not been mentioned in any of the weather reports Simon and his parents read aloud to each other every day. She sat up in bed and looked over at Simon, his breathing deep and oblivious, his skin luminous in the moonlight. She didn't know when he'd come in or how long he'd stayed outside drinking wine with his parents. She hadn't heard him open the door, hadn't felt him slide into bed. He hadn't reached for her waist or kissed her shoulder, hadn't tried to rouse her deliciously from her sleep. Tasneem walked over to the window, the night sky was mottled lavender and mauve and the winds thrashed recklessly. Something pale flickered dully on the garden table, like a creature with a broken wing. She peered down and then realised what it was. The book she had bought from the market, blown open by the wind, rain splattering the pages like hard little stones. And just then, she felt her heart dip like a moth falling away from a bright light. But the book would have to wait. It was not as though she could run into the garden in the silk lingerie she bought especially for this holiday in the middle of this storm. It was not the end of the world. Perhaps the pages would dry out and even if not, she could easily buy another copy if she really wanted to. She could order one right now on her phone and have it waiting for her as soon as she got home. But still, she felt for a moment a strange sensation, not unlike the surprise of a small but painful sliver of a paper cut. He didn't think to bring it in, she thought. That was all. Tasneem looked up. She noticed how the sky here so high up in the hills looked frightening, how it seemed deeper and denser than back home. Somewhere behind the hills, she heard the echo of stray dogs barking, savage and fierce. She glanced back towards the bed where Simon slept deeply, the pattern of his breathing steady, unaware of the emptiness beside him. She turned back to the window. In a few days, they would return home. They had not discussed their plans for after the holiday or for the rest of the summer. 
She wondered if he'd just expect her to go back to his after they landed back in London without necessarily asking if she even wanted to. She wondered how he'd react if she made up some excuse about needing to go back to hers instead and do her laundry. She imagined he'd just say, sure, that's fine, see you soon then, and they would part with the briefest of hugs or the most perfunctory kiss and that would be it. She could just picture him saying that, doing that as if it was nothing, assuming everything was fine. But all she really wanted was for him to insist, for him to tell her how unbearable it would be to be separated from her for even just one night. She wanted only for him to make her feel like they were worthwhile. Tasneem felt her breath catch at the back of her throat. She shuddered. She looked up and noticed how vast the space was between each lonely star, far apart distant planets vanishing behind the inky clouds and the endless dark. Thank you so much. It's um, lovely to hear you read, um, especially because that story, Small Differences, was shortlisted for the Brick Lane competition back in 2020. And that was the year that was the year we weren't able to have an event. So it's good to finally meet you properly and hear it read. Yeah, that's right. This was um, the story that I entered into the competition before I knew any of what was to come really so yeah it was it's it's a really special story as well I think it especially actually reading it in the summer as well because it is a story that's full of heightened emotions against this backdrop of intense summer heat um, and I just love that so it feels very fitting to read it on a beautifully sunny day as well <laughs> yeah it's very it's very moving it's a gentle story and it's sort of about tiny moments that sort of build up to create kind of the fractures in life I think that's all, in a way what all my writing is about or what I try to look for. I think that's what I'm naturally drawn to is looking for those small moments that perhaps individually maybe don't mean a lot, but as they build up, they, they do mean something. And sometimes you can't always articulate why, you just know, you just have a feeling. And I think that's the kind of feeling that I'm exploring in my writing is that sort of uneasiness but you don't always know why and it kind of chases you around and then sometimes there is this penny drop moment where it makes sense as to why maybe you're feeling the way that you feel and that's something I try to follow with the characters that I write about I think is that they are they generally are sharing this feeling of uneasiness but they can't quite say why day to day they might be absolutely fine but there's just this thing that that haunts them or they can't let go or they can't quite bring themselves to focus on and try to understand and it creates kind of block um, emotionally. And I think that's what, yeah, that's what I love to do is trying to unpick all of that. Would, would you mind talking about um, the experience of the competition and, and how important it is to be shortlisted? Yeah, it, it was really important. Um, when my youngest went to nursery, I first started seizing these sort of pockets of time and started writing short stories um, because my first love had always been short stories. I'm a massive short story reader, I suppose, or at least I am when I'm not trying to write at the same time. Um, and it seemed I had this real sense of urgency that now that I finally had these windows of opportunity, I wanted to sit down and, and do something with them and I wanted to write. So I was quite focused in that sense. But I was very new to fiction in a way. Like I'd written it for myself. I'd taken writing courses, but I'd never written fiction that was published. I'd had like maybe one story published in um, the magazine Mislexia, which, which um, is 
you know, all about writing and championing new writing. I kind of reached this moment where I didn't really know where I wanted to go with my writing, only that I wanted to pursue fiction in some way. Um, and so I had this little opportunity, I have three children, and my third went to nursery. It was, it, I just felt very, um, yeah, I wouldn't say panicked, because I was somehow quite focused. And I look back now, and I'm not sure, you know, I kind of wish I could tap into that again. But there seemed like this real sense of urgency. I only had three mornings a week to write, and I, I wanted to do it. And so I took it story by story, and small differences just quite possibly one of the third or fourth stories that I started writing. It was almost like I was training myself to write in this very short spaces of time. And I loved short stories anyway. I kind of felt like I understood what I needed to do to make them work. Um, but at the same time, it meant I could do it in these small spaces of time. And so I was writing these stories until I had about probably five of them. I felt like I needed to challenge myself further. Um, and I kind of set myself this goal of entering competitions to see whether they were objectively good or not, because I didn't really have any objectivity. No one read them. I didn't have an agent then. I didn't have anyone to show them to. I don't show my writing to any friends or to my head. Like, you know, there was no one to show them to, but I would read them over and over and I'd be like, maybe, maybe it's worth just giving it a shot. Like it had the emotional path that I was trying to put into the story and I guess I kind of wanted a stamp of approval from someone to say yeah actually these are not bad keep going that I knew that if I wanted to do something real with my stories I needed to get them seen by people who mattered and I needed and that would help to get an agent it would help my long-term journey so of course I started looking I was I knew about your um Brick Lane Bookshop Prize because I'd followed it before um I followed a number of them and those were the ones that I chose to enter the ones that I knew had a bit of a reputation about them and had the quality of judges and obviously that year you had an amazing judging panel you had Charmaine Lovegrove that was my <laughs> that was my very specific and calculated target was I want her to read my work. I want her to tell me if it's any good, if I got far enough in the process, because if she thinks it's worth something, then maybe I'm onto something. I think at the time I didn't allow myself to think of it quite that rationally. Um, but I think in behind the scenes, that was my thought process, even though I didn't admit it to myself, because to admit that, you know, a publisher who is incredibly influential and has impeccable taste, to allow myself to even think that she might think something of my writing was a step too far in my imagination. But I think the cogs were turning and I thought, actually, this is what I need. So obviously to get shortlisted was incredible because then I met, it meant I could put it on my um, submission letters to agents. Um, and that along with um, a couple of other prizes, one of which I, I went on to win, which was great, which was the Harper's Bazaar Prize, which was another one that I was very specific about because they had um, an agent, Caroline Michael at PFD, which who's, I'd, I'd known was essentially basically known for having most amazing talent on her books at that, her agency. And then they went on to sign me. So I kind of killed a couple of birds with the stones in the form of these short stories by submitting them and getting them seen. And, and, and the fact that Charmaine, I think this is a bit like, I, I hope it's okay to say the fact that she had read my work. And then Kate, I don't know if you remember, but you emailed me to say that she'd requested to see my other stories. And that was a big moment. 
um, because essentially, effectively, everything then snowballed. And um, I ended up in an auction um, for, for my work, which was not something I would have ever imagined when I was sitting in a cafe with one eye on the clock because the cafe was around the corner from my little boy's nursery that I'm just going to write, 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 and then I have to go at half 12 and pick him up. Like, I'd never imagined that within a year there would be people bidding for my book and my stories and that it meant something to them. Like it still completely blows my mind. And it's almost like there's a block between me and that because I don't quite know what to make of it. So I kind of push it away and like, yeah, <laughs> just, um, but yes, it was, it, that's what meant winning, um, being shortlisted in the competition meant. It, it gave me confidence in myself and it also led to much bigger things that were out of my control. So. Yeah, it's amazing. Absolutely amazing. <laughs> that is probably the most perfect answer and success story that I could imagine. <laughs> I think Charmaine, I remember the judges meeting that year and Charmaine was the one that was pushing for your work to be definitely on the shortlist. And so your your plan came together in a, in a good way. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's, it's, it's kind of nuts to say that I was so targeted in, in the competitions, but I think I had to be, I, and I don't know where I kind of got that from, um, the idea to do that, but it just seemed to me to make sense. I think I just felt like it felt very urgent, like it was a now or never moment and I had to make it happen, but there were so many hoops to jump through to get an agent for short stories is not easy because all the advice that you find online for how to find a literary agent it's all very specific to a novel and your three your first three chapters and your synopsis but you can't really do a synopsis for a short story collection it's quite hard to do that and there's like no kind of templates or no advice on that so being able to kind of almost jump one step ahead by getting a judge that I really admired and really mattered to me to get her to read my work uh, an editor like that was just amazing so yeah thank you <laughs> pleasure thank you um uh, after you said um you said writing a synopsis for a short story collection is very difficult and I agree but I wondered if I could challenge you to do just that and describe your collection for our listeners who may not have read it yet of course so things we do not tell the people we love is my short story collection and it is kind of what the title suggests it's about secrets and intimacy that we keep from our um ourselves and also the people closest to us in our relationships um and it's those intimacies and the darkness that they lead to and the things that are left unsaid that i think can be so powerful and that's what i wanted to explore in my stories so the the unspoken intimacy um and the unsaid darkness as well of secrets many of the stories they seem to bridge the gap between cultures which i find very very interesting uh your narrators are often they have pakistani heritage but they're also dealing with sort of british cultural misunderstanding and things like that um and you also explore gender injustices with great nuance i think um especially in premonition and waterlog uh, the men get at such an easy ride, it feels like, and they seem just completely oblivious to the sort of female counterparts' struggles that they're going through. And I wonder if you could sort of dig into that a little bit and sort of tell us what you what you were aiming for there with these stories. Yeah, if I'm honest with you, I don't think I ever thought of them in that kind of, I'm going to write to show a cultural divide or show these nuances. I was just trying to write something that felt real and true. Um, I always feel like I have to preface the fact that 
they, all these stories are fictional, many of them are in first person, but they're not based on me, but they became very real to me, like the characters became very real to me. And I think the only way I could write them at that stage, perhaps in my writing journey, was for them to share my background and for them to share perhaps the, um, the tensions that I might have experienced, not in the same context as them, but the th little things that you pick up on. Um, and so it came very naturally in a way to write the story premonition with the boy, the guy basically getting away with it. It didn't, I didn't feel like I had to stop and think about trying to make um, a very subtle point, which I suppose I, I was doing, but I don't think I thought of it consciously. I just quite simply immersed myself into this character's head. She's not me. I've not experienced what she's specifically experienced in that story, but I feel like I had to cross this threshold to almost become her, to, to be that first person voice. Um, so I do, I, I, it's interesting because a number of readers have commented on things like that, like on the cultural thing, but I don't know that I specifically planned to write the stories in that way. What I was most interested in was just exploring what it meant to be a teenage girl in that situation for that to come back. Um, I don't think I planned it to be necessarily an, a reflection on sort of a cultural gap or something like that. Um, quite possibly because I live that or lived that cultural way myself you know I have that heritage and so it seemed impossible to me to not write characters who shared that because then I could see things the way they would see things um so yeah I suppose the lines were really blurred but I I don't think I was specific in planning or trying to explore those as issues as much as I was definitely wanting to explore the issues of longing and, and just like the more emotional journey as opposed to a cultural or even political kind of perspective. I, I really just wanted to get into the heart of the loss, I suppose, and the loneliness in Waterlogged more as a new mother in the, in the story. The character is a new mother in the story, Waterlogged. So I don't think I was um, trying to judge the husband, which I know sounds weird afterwards because he, he does come off quite badly in the story. But really what I was more interested in was her, her character, her loneliness, her overwhelm. Uh, and to me, that felt that it was more, yeah, it was more about her interior sort of, complexities as opposed to her perhaps um heritage or the expectations that that might have put on her being being a mother in that situation so the BOB podcast is brought to you by Brick Lane Bookshop as a thank you for listening to us talk about short stories we're offering all listeners a 10% discount just use the code BLBPOD that's B-L-B-P-O-D for a 10% discount off any purchase at bricklanebookshop.org tension between the mothers and daughters in this story is palpable. It runs through virtually every single story, especially with the jam maker and Summer. I wonder if you could talk about that as well. Was this something that you really wanted to explore, the relationship between mother and daughter? It was. And I also preface this question by saying like people often like, things okay with your mum. <laughs> We were, I didn't want to ask that question because it's the author is not the work, obviously. But No, um, and it's quite nice because I'm quite lucky. I mean, 2021 was an incredible year in that I had two books come out and one of them was my memoir, which is how we met. And 
I'm really lucky that it happened the way that it did because How We Met came out first. And I think if it didn't, there would be more questions about sort of the lines being blurred between fiction and reality because actually I can hold that book up and say, well, this is my relationship with my mother and it's it's quite tender and it's very close and we get on fine. So that answers all those questions. Um, but I am, I think the thing that I'm really interested in exploring in fiction in relationships when I'm writing about them is that question of what if, um, you know, I have a fairly, um, um, I don't want to say conventional because it's not conventional. It's very special. My family life is very special to me. And I feel very lucky that I have these close relationships and I feel supported and understood. But the question that drives me is, but what if, what if I didn't, what if I felt like I couldn't say what I needed to say. And I think also we do all experience that as well. You certainly experience that growing up, this sort of gap between yourselves and your parents, um, perhaps. Um, so the question that really drove me to kind of put mothers and daughters into the spotlight was firstly, as fiction, I just find it hugely fascinating to explore. I think it's rife for tension, for misunderstandings, all the things that I love to write about are there captured in, in this relationship. And I think there's a certain tension there that um, I love to play with in stories. I, I really do want to write that. Sometimes I, I finish writing a story and I just sort of wish I could write a happier story with a, with a nicer ending. And I don't know how it is that I get into the places that I get to, um, but specifically the, the, the story too much, which kind of lies at the heart of the book. Um, is a mother and daughter relationship that kind of breaks my heart. And I think it is that question of what if and what's the worst possible thing that I could imagine as a mother is, is your child. Now, I don't have daughters, I have sons, but the worst possible thing that I could imagine in the answer that it, when asking the question, what if is, what if that's it? What if they never come back to you? What if that's it? None of it meant anything to them. Um, and, and how far misunderstood would your relationship have to be to end up that way? I don't want to give away, give it away. And it's also not all that bleak as a, as a collection. There are, there are moments of lightness and there are moments of hope. Um, but I just, yeah, I find the mother-daughter relationship just really incredibly endlessly fascinating. And I don't know where that comes from, other than it's just that I, it's something I'm very naturally drawn to exploring. I like reading books that explore those themes and I wanted to then explore it in my own lens with my own added layers of tension that come from inherited culture and the perhaps the expectations and 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 the burden of that as well like I just thought that would make it a very layered and complex storytelling framework within within which to set these relationships so so that's what I tried to do. I'd like to talk to you about your, your writing process and the way you edit. The voice in the stories is incredibly kind of clean and emotionally articulate. There's never any doubt about what's going on or what's happening in the stories. Do you have a sort of thorough editing process or does it come out like that? It's really, really strange because it feels like I have two writing processes. I have one for the novel that I'm currently writing, which is so unlike the experience of writing these stories. Um, they, I wrote these stories quite quickly in a way, like each story, I didn't want to dwell on them. And I think it, that might come across, not to say that they feel rushed, but I think the intensity 
there's something of that urgency and that intensity in there with hindsight that I recognize from the intensity that I felt that I really needed to make this happen. Um, so there's that. They, they would come, I would see the stories like vignettes almost. So I would get an idea for how, what I wanted to start. I would, it would be very visual, um, almost like watching the start of a film, like with the opening credits. That's mm -hmm. how I pictured pretty much all the beginnings of my stories in the collection. Uh, let's say with Premonition, for instance, I could see this girl on the phone running for the bus and then she's on the bus and suddenly this thought process, this memory is triggered from the conversation she's just had. That felt very cinematic in a way, like I could see it. And so I'd write that scene that I could see. And then the more I wrote, the more it became clear to me where the story was going. And then at other times the story would come to me quite whole. Um, and I think that's the beauty of a short story is that you can kind of hold it in your head and I'd be very excited to explore it. And I would say Small Differences was one of those stories where I knew that I wanted to put this couple in um, away from home. I, I could, and again, that opening scene, the bare feet on the terracotta stones in the kitchen. I could see all that. I could picture this veranda. I could picture them sitting on this low sofa. And I began with that scene and I knew that it was going to be this story about a, a kind of misunderstood love and these sort of hidden tensions. The heat felt very real to me and I could picture that and I, I wondered how that would put this extra pressure, like this almost like a pressure cooker situation where things are unbearable and they're either going to break or they could, they have a chance. I think at the ending that I read, there is this chance that they could actually see it through if they could say the things that they need to say to each other. Um, so my writing processes for the stories was that sometimes it would just be scene by scene and it'd be very visual. So I would begin with that very visual opening and the openings would pretty much stay as they are. Um, Sometimes I knew where it was going already, like with small differences and other times like the jam maker and too much, they hit me like a bus. I had no idea that I was going to do those things to the characters. And um, funnily enough, when the book came out, um, it also came out on Audible, which is quite a novelty. <laughs> and my little, my boys are quite small. They're like eight, seven and four. And they listen to you. Um, a lot of audiobooks like when we're in the car and things so just as a sort of purely for their excitement I'd put it I put on the opening credits not the book because it's not age appropriate but you know they got very excited to hear this is audible and then you know to hear my name and, and the name of the book because they knew that and then after that because I had it I'd then downloaded it and um, I listened to the stories I found myself listening to them which is really interesting because it was like a level of removal and distance and hearing these actresses, they had two different actresses do the voices. It was amazing. And I remember driving and listening to the story too much and just feeling this kind of gut wrenching, oh my God, like at the end, I just it was like, and then this sort of reality that I wrote that and I did that to them. Like I did that to them. And I don't know, I don't know where that came from. I know that whilst I was, in the flow of writing, I knew I wanted to explore this idea that it doesn't always have to be this major, big, dramatic thing. That was the heart of the story, I think, was 
trying to show that little things, sometimes just little things can happen and you don't know what they are. You can't put your finger on it. Things just don't work out. And that was what I was aiming for, but hearing it read out loud and that sort of reality moment of where did that come from? I can't a hundred percent say where it came from. And I think that's the thing with writing. I have my way in, which is to look at it quite visually or to picture it visually. And that becomes my way into writing. And then when I'm immersed in it, it is a very odd process in which to some extent it just, it just comes um, and things that surprise me come and I let them happen on the page. Um, but I am at the same time quite careful with my editing process. I'm not very good, for instance, with my novel at doing the whole vomit on the first draft thing. That phrase just gives me the creeps. I just don't like it. Um, and I think what I love about short stories is that you can essentially write a, sh a first draft quite quickly, but the framework would always stay the same and that editing would be very careful on the each and every single word. And I love that layer of attention. Like it feels really technical and I love like spending a day to, if someone gave me, like I wrote a short story last week for Stylist um, and because they're doing a series on short stories and they had like a thousand words uh, word count and I love that because it's actually really difficult to write a thousand words but I love spending a whole morning being really technical and cutting 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 until it's very simple and very spare and the moments that you need are as powerful as they need to be in the motion of the journey uh, in the journey of the story sorry um so I am quite careful with the editing and the cleanness. And I remember actually when um, you're, you were having it copy edited for the book. Um, and it's interesting because the same thing came up when it was being copy edited for the final book was the copy editor. Obviously, it's their job to pick up on these little things. And I think one of the things was my use of semicolons and also my use of the word upon instead of on and I had to say please don't change that because in when I read it out loud this is the rhythm this is and to me that's the poetry of it as well as in the prose um and and yeah it was all fine they kept that they got that they understood that was totally fine but it it really is the point I think is that every syllable and every beat counts in a short story and it has to earn its place and it is almost like poetry because there is a rhythm to it it needs to end within this confined space just have one question left before we go which is about what you're reading who are you reading now and are, are, do you have time and are the writers that you always return to Oh, I love that question. I just finished reading. I was looking for it on my desk, but I don't have it because I think it's in my bag. But I've just finished reading Expectation by Anna Hope. Um, and I know it's not like a, a brand new book. I can't keep up with all the people that read like every single brand new book every Thursday on the day it's published. But um, I, I think it's been out for some time. Um, and it's just absolutely beautiful. It's about three women and their friendships and their um, expectations of what their life will be like and how reality and expectation doesn't always match up. So it's all the things I'm interested in. And it's a really interesting structure as well, which I love uh, because she goes from the past to the present. And again, a very almost vignette style, which I love as well. So it felt like the book was written for me. I had this kind of like, 
my gosh, this is everything I love in a book. So yeah, absolutely loved it. So that's what I've literally just finished. And I loved it so much. And this will sound crazy, but this is something that I do. I start it again and I read it kind of to look at the structure and stuff like that. Um, uh, And then my kind of absolute go-tos that I love rereading Tessa Hadley. And my favourite one of hers is her very first one, which is Accidents in the Home. Again, because it's all... To me, they're short stories that are very, very loosely uh, connected. But to me, like they even stand alone. I just love her observations. I love the way she describes people and places and everything feels so real. And then there's just this, like she captures those moments. Like I really just think it's amazing. She's amazing. (laughs) Um, And I also love... Jhumpa Lahiri and Lucy Caldwell, again, both short story writers before they were anything else, I guess. Um, those are the, that kind of prose. I just love returning to their kind of like touchstones, a bit like a North Star, I guess, that it's very, um, it's just so, it just brings me back. Reading that brings me back. So I'm not reading anything necessarily new. I think expectation was the the first book I've read in in maybe about a month or so because I deliberately wasn't reading so that I could focus on my writing um and then I heard her speak and I was like oh I have to get it and I'm so glad that I did and it kind of reinvigorated me a little bit so good good recommendations thank you Uh, it's really I'm glad to hear that other people go back to the beginning to analyze the book because I do that too yeah I don't think it's weird at all well We want to say thank you so much for coming onto the podcast. It was a pleasure to talk to you and we wish you very much the best of luck for writing your new novel. And we're looking forward to reading it when it comes out. Thank you so much for having me. Really, really nice to chat. Good to talk to you too. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the BLB podcast. Please remember to rate and review us. We'd love to hear what you think of the show. You can get in touch on social media via at Brick Lane Books or email us at inquiries at bricklanebookshop.org. This podcast is brought to you by Brick Lane Bookshop. It was produced and edited by Kate Ellis and Peter J. Coles. And music was by Andrew Everett. You can find previous episodes of the podcast at bricklanebookshop.org or search Brick Lane Bookshop wherever you find podcasts.